thought it best to send the Night Watchman out. The crowd want to cheer Ricky Welcome to the Night Watchman podcast. I'm John Hotton. In November 1970, Fred Truman, newly retired from first-class cricket, appeared in Dad's Army. The episode was called The Test, and Truman was somewhat predictably cast as the demon fast bowler E.C. Egan, recruited by Warden Hodges for a grudge match against Captain Mannering's home guard. The joy of the episode is that, as the viewer, you know long before the game begins what kind of cricketers each of the characters will turn out to be. Mannering, Pike, Godfrey, Jones and Frazier play exactly as you'd expect, as of course just John LeMagurio's wonderfully fey Sergeant Wilson. He of course bats as effortlessly as he does everything else. Lots of British sitcoms feature a cricket episode because the game itself says something. It's a shorthand for a certain kind of Englishness. The village green is a familiar stage and the game is full of archetypes that don't need to be explained. Above all, it has the potential for disaster and humiliation. That, after all, is cricket's canvas. It leads us to the question, is cricket funny? Is humour intrinsic to its creation? Some of its earliest literature features the comedy of humiliation, run-outs and dropped catches. The amateur game is ripe with it, and the pros too have their brushes with ignominy along with victory and defeat. Players, commentators and hacks getting it wrong is all part of the fun. But is there more to it than that? Marcus Berkman has written about music, television, culture and many other things and since the publication of his classic Rain Men in 1995 has been known for his obsession with cricket, a sport, it's probably fair to say, does not quite love him back with such requited (laughs) passion. He played with the late comedy producer Harry Thompson in the Captain Scott Eleven before forming the titular Rain Men and once told me that he'd gone three seasons without scoring a single run and yet still he climbs the mountain so familiar to every Sunday captain of finding 11 fit or at least upright human beings to fulfil a fixture in some distant beautiful town week in and week out during the English summer. Marcus let me start by asking why what is it about cricket that has kept you coming back for more? Gosh, I really don't know. Um I I've I've always assumed that cricket is one of those games that um that just grabs you by the ghoulies and won't let let go. I was 11 when I 11 or 12 um when I was and I was a heavy duty football fan and I didn't know right. cricket at all. And um I watched England playing India in 1971 which was the Abidali and Solkar um um uh, s- series of tests. Um when Solkar who was a, a little bu- bunny of a bowl, you know, just yeah, kept yeah. getting boycotted. That's right, and, he did, yeah. And um, and I just fell in love with it almost instantaneously. I thought, well, this is where I have to be. Um, I think it's a purely temperamental thing. If it, if it gets you, yeah. it gets you. And really, there's nothing to analyse. It's a, a purely emotional reaction. It is, yeah. But then that, the notion of sort of comedy being inherent within it, I mean, obviously, when anyone starts, they're not very good at it. No. But if you carry on playing, and and like most of us, you still aren't very good at it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I suppose you then start to wonder what it is about the game that's hooked you in. Well, what happened? To, yes, I completely agree. What happened to me was um, I've actually given up playing now. I gave up about three years ago. Yeah. Um, and although I still run the team and I still go to matches and I, they're all my friends, I still do that. But um, I got into a terrible 
funk because um, I stopped being able to play. I mean, I could never do very much anyway. I could, t- but I could take a catch. I could always take a catch, and then I could, if I went into bat, I could stay in. And I stopped being able to do both of those. <laughs> and I had three years, as I said to you on that occasion, I had three years when I didn't score a single run, um, and um, I got very gloomy about it. And, and in the end, <laughs> as you would. As you would. And yeah. I stopped being able to take catches. And and I retired in 2017. And almost as soon as um, I retired, I, re- I realised that I'd stopped enjoying the game and um, because I'd been so miserable about my own performances. But then my enthusiasm just flooded back um, as I wasn't playing oh. the game. I didn't have to put myself through this suffering anymore. Yeah. And, and then <clears throat> subsequently, it was about a few months later, I discovered the reason, which was I have a tremor in both hands. Uh, and it's not Parkinson's, it's just like a tremor. It's, it's, they call it an essential tremor. And the tremor stopped me uh, from being able to do what I'd been, I'd been doing all that time. So there was an actual medical reason for this. <laughs> It wasn't but, just yeah, old age. It was a legitimate retirement. It, it was a legitimate grounds. retirement. But yeah. since I retired, my enthusiasm has flooded back. And I realised that I, for about four or five years, I'd fallen out of love with the game completely. I suppose to go back to when you when you fell in love with it in the first place, and uh, I mentioned that you, you played in the what became the famous Captain Scott's Eleven with Harry Thompson and, and then went on and formed the equally famous <laughs> Rain Men off the back of that. But there's something, isn't there, about men, you know, clever clever men and women who whose working life is rooted in comedy, who was who almost in many ways uh, psychologically built to find the humour in life, playing this game with incredible seriousness that is in itself funny and generates its own kind of comedy. I was going to say that because Harry, um, who was an incredibly funny and talented man and you know, did all sorts of amazing things in comedy, wrote a really good novel, wrote all sorts of wonderful things. Um, the one thing he was not humorous about was his own cricket. And, <laughs> and of course, that was incredibly yeah. funny in itself. So yeah. um, he had a particular waft outside the off stump, which was, um, you know, Harry, that, the Thompson waft, as it was known. Um, and it was, <laughs> he, he, it was always, he was always a foot away from the ball and he was thought he was going to hit it for four. And for 25 years, he never hit, he barely hit it at all. He didn't even Get, get close to get uh, to edging the ball. It was just the Thompson waft, and um, he wasn't. He didn't find this funny at all. Not a, even remotely amusing. Which of course meant that everyone constantly used the phrase Thompson waft whenever he did it. I wonder what it is that, that as I say, people who you know like, like yourself and like him, you 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 know, you make your living from having a, an almost a wry view of the world. Yes. And yet it, it, cricket drives that away somehow. Well, it does it. I'm not sure it does because I, <laughs> it's it's such an amusing game. I mean, I've written three funny books about cricket. You know, that's mm. that's two more than one. I mean, it's a lot. And <laughs> I'm pleased with all three of them. And they, um, they just take the whole... The point is, there are two points here. One is the oft-expressed... Uh, um, thoughts that or idea that cricket is a, uh, a team game played by individuals which is something that i think i put in rain men 25 years ago but i've seen so many times since it but that's it it's a team game played by individuals so it's not a team game like rugby or football you know pe- people are the point is it's bowler versus batsman it's an individual thing when the ball comes flying at you in the air your teammates are nowhere it's you who has to take the catch no one else so the um the thing about this is that you have 
people, most of most cricketers I know are serious individualists. Um, they're not team players particularly yes. at all, and um, they are, if you're going to be kind, eccentric, and if you're going not going to be kind, they're off their heads. And that's almost all cricketers I've ever known. I mean, they're, they're a very, very odd bunch of people. I suppose when you came to write Raymond, the first of the three that you're, you're referring to, how did you sort of find the idea and the style for that? Because I think it became, you know, something that, that almost created a genre uh, for itself. This, this, you know, the memoir of the amateur cricketer. Well, the main thing, uh, I think the reason the Rain Men works is because it was real. So a lot of people who write humour or comedy um, go off into a flight of fancy. And you know, I'm sure we've all read supposedly funny books that we think, I don't believe this. This is just, this is just the imagination of the person. This didn't really happen to mm. anyone. This is just someone gilding the lily and making something that was perfectly ordinary um, into something that didn't really happen. You don't believe it. Well, that's that's that kills all comedy. Um, the point about Rain Men was that it was real. Okay, I put a, I put a, a comic spin on things, but that's what I do. Nonetheless, all of it actually happened. What would happen was that teams would come. Teams would like Rain Men. They'd want to play the Rain Men team. And they, we'd turn up and we'd do what we do. And they all said the same thing. They said, oh, God, you really are as bad as that. And I said, we're exactly as bad as that. I just described what this is, what's going on. It, they said, well, we assumed you were exaggerating. I said, no, there's no exaggerating. I said, that guy over there is Tim the incredibly angry fast bowler. And, of course, now he's Tim the incredibly angry slow bowler <laughs> because he's 62. <laughs> But he's still incredibly angry. And um, he, you know, um, just this last season, um, <laughs> just thinking about it makes me laugh. Just this last season, I went along to a game and um, I, went, uh, I tend to go for, uh, because I, I, I go and see them. When we're fielding, there's nothing to do. So I go for a long walk in the countryside. So I went for my walk while we were fielding and I came back at about tea time. Um, and Tim was nowhere to be seen. And everyone was just laughing and chuckling away. And I said, what happened? And um, Tim um, had been bowling and he'd had some words with the, the, the batsman and the two of them had squared up to each other. And, and then Tim had suddenly, uh, you know, and they were yelling at each other. And then Tim suddenly turned around, walked off, got into his car and drove home. And everyone thought this was the funniest thing they'd ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> and... <laughs> And it was. And the rest of the afternoon, we all spent laughing about this absurd. <laughs> but obviously, this, this, that's what he does. Um, he, you know, mm. he's a comedy character. He has no idea he's a comedy character. This is the other, th yeah. this is the other thing, is that a lot of these, when I wrote Rayman and Zimmerman, a lot of my teammates um, never had the smallest idea that they were comedy characters until I wrote it down. I remember playing one game where our captain had uh, recruited a last-minute guy. None of us really knew him, but he was a lovely bloke and he turned up, you know, in the, the classic uniform of the the, uh, the mismatched uh, trainers and all the rest of it. And uh, we were getting hammered, as usual, and, and, and the, the captain thought, we'd better give this guy a bowl. So I said to him, um, just before he came on, I said to him, oh, well, you know, what do you bowl? And he said, uh, it's a surprise. And I said, well, look, um, you know, we've got to, we've got to get, we've got to set a field. So it can't be that much of a surprise. Just give me an idea. And he, he said, uh, I bowl inside fast, um, which became this kind of catchphrase of, you know, nonsensical, but almost, you kind of understood what it was, but you weren't sure he was 
A, going to be able to bowl it or B, you know, knew what it was himself. And and he, he the over went sort of pretty much as you would have imagined. But there is this, there's this something about cricket that people imagine they can play it when they haven't played it for many years. Yes. They, they're almost left with a, it's as if they remember the, the player they were in their youth and think that they're still it, even when they're in their 50s or something. Yes, and uh, and want to be, and yes. um, I mean the, the 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 thing about about this is the people who retired. We've had quite a few retirements over the past few years because you know people's knees have given up or whatever, and and or they've finally realised that they're you know knocking on sixty and they're still crap. <laughs> and that's a bit upsetting. You know, you've been playing for all these years. Uh, you've um, we had one player um, who who just threw in the towel and took up the ukulele about three years ago. <laughs> right. Again, right. and and he has no idea that that's a funny thing to do. Because, <laughs> but whereas, of course, it's exceptionally funny, and we all laugh about it all the time. But yeah. um, he'd scored. He was um, he was a very nice bloke, but he was the most self-centered cricketer I've ever played with or against. Um, and he's the sort of person who um, wanted to bat in a decent position, except he couldn't bat. Yeah. So in order just to shut him up, most teams put him at number two um, and hoped he got out for naught. Because if he ever stayed in, he'd stay in for so long that we would lose the game. Yeah. Yeah. And he once scored a 50 and it, he came off, you know, raising his bat and no one was clapping because we <laughs> because we lost the game. And he had no idea. Yeah. And he played 200 plus games. <laughs> and, um, and he was, you know, I mean, a borderline mental case is, is <laughs> yeah, fair to, yeah. it, it's not an exaggeration. Yeah. And then, of course, he went off and took up the ukulele, which, yeah. and of course, everyone, everyone just thinks, oh, God, how did we put up with this guy for yeah. all those years? Yeah. Because, very very nice bloke and very yeah. kind and an amiable character but and but not the smallest idea about cricket mm. and yet he became obsessed with it mm. and wanted to master it and failed to master it and vanished yeah yeah um, <laughs> I, I mentioned the introduction the notion of cricket and the sitcom where yeah, cricket makes many appearances in, in, in British sitcoms and you've written it a does. lot about television over the years. Yeah. And I wonder why you thought that was and why it, it's, it's almost most successful as a, as, a, as a sitcom than it is as a novel or, as, as you say, as any other sort of piece of writing or art. It's, cricket seems to suit the sitcom especially well. Well, it does because, uh, as you said, it's got loads of characters, and the characters are easy. You, as you said, we all knew that Sergeant Wilson would be would be would bat like Ted Dexter, didn't we? We just all knew that, and <laughs> yeah, everyone yeah. knows that. Who, who, because that's going to be. We know that, the, and we know that Mannering is going to be furious that uh, the, that Wilson. So the joke <laughs> is already there. It's 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 low hanging fruit. It, it's yeah. you know there's 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 very yes. little work to be done. As you say, we we ha we all have these 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 jokes, these cricketing jokes in our head already. It's just a matter of just putting them in place and letting them get on with it. And that's why I think, um, I mean, I was thinking I was thinking about this. I was thinking, uh, which other sport is there that has lots and lots of comedy being written about it? And I thought. Only golf, really, and that's mm. P.G. Woodhouse. And P.G. Woodhouse was a genius. Yeah. No, and no one else has ever come close to equaling his golfing stories, which are, are works of art. And any other sport? Is there yeah. a humorous rugby literature? Is there a hu humorous snooker literature? No. <laughs> really, no. <laughs> is there an, is, are there amusing novels or, or plays or anything about tennis? No. 
it's only cricket, and mm. I'm sure that's because it, it's because of the low hanging fruit. It's 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 just funny. A teammate of mine, um, Jonathan Wilson, the football writer, pointed out last year that it also makes many appearances in detective series. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I, I mean, I wonder as 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 someone who's who you know television has formed part of your your professional life, looking at it and writing about it. When you see the cricket field appear in a sitcom, in a detective series, in anything, does your heart sink or does it fly? Well, probably not either. I mean, um, <laughs> I think, you know, you think, oh, God, is this going to be any good? But um, uh, there are certain, as you say, there are certain archetypes. Um, I mean, Jonathan Wilson, um, who, who also plays for my team, and he plays for yeah. anyone who will have him because he's mad. <laughs> and he's, 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 what, he's an absolutely lovely bloke, but he's, he's a very strange guy. And he's, um, <laughs> he's the only person I know who who updates his bowling average oh. after every ball? Oh, I've I've batted with him where he's telling me how his batting average is changing while he's in. Yes, and it's astonishing. And uh, he he told me last year last year that he has a different bat- bowling average in his head for Saturdays and Sunday matches. <laughs> now, <laughs> you know, the answer to is cricket funny is that yeah yeah surely yeah, yeah. Uh, and um. Now, the, the thing about the sitcom and, and drama and so forth is that there are certain um, archetypes that we've all seen. So, for instance, there is the, you know, the, the stats head like Jonathan. Um, and then there's also um, an, another wonderful um, cricketing archetype who definitely exists. I've met many of these people are the people whose lives are terrible, whose lives are catastrophically disastrous and yet who are brilliant on the cricket field. Yes, Yes, very and, true. And the only time that they walk tall and the, and is when they get out on the cricket field, and they go out and they score centuries, and they're big and they're um, and they 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 bowl quickly and they're very good. And then you talk to them in the bar afterwards, and their latest business has gone down the tubes, and they're <laughs> bankrupt, and their teeth are falling out, and their wife has left them for. And their their lives are, 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 are you know a battlegrounds. Yeah. But cricket is, and there are loads of people like that, and there are loads and loads of other archetypes. I mean, you know, we just have to think of them, but there are lots. Yeah, obviously, you know, we've probably seen that the amateur game is is ripe for comedy, but the professional game, you know, as you as you as you sort of touched on there, these men are heroes. You know, they they they're actually good at the game. Some of them are so good at the game that that they become transcendent at it. Uh, uh, our kind of tropes of, of humour in professional cricket are, are either of, you know, the the old fast bowler turned after dinner speaker or the, um, you know, the, the book of humorous sledges. Uh, does it, do, you know, can pro cricket be funnier than that, do you think? Well, it, it can be. And the thing is, uh, when I did my I, uh, my third funny cricket book was Berkman's Cricketing Miscellany, which came out a couple of summers ago. And it's very good, I should add. But it's mainly about the pro game. So, uh, And what I did was I just did a, little, a loads of... I did lots of reading, and I looked for mm. amusing stories about um, cricketers, famous cricketers, and they, the, the only criterion, really, was that I hadn't heard these before. So you're looking for stories that... You know, shows shows some strange and curious uh, side to these characters, and there's always something. There's it, it was uh, I again. I was amazed at how much there was. So many uh, good little stories, and because again, professional cricket 
is like it's not an as extreme a version as the amateur game, but it is full of eccentrics. You know, you just look look at some of the the you know, you just look at Steve War and you think you are as yeah. you are off your trolley. You know, <laughs> okay, all right. All sorts of wonderful stories about Steve Wall, but he, he, that's why because there's that flinty-eyed, um, completely. He's he's obviously he's not someone you'd want to have a drink with, you know. Whereas Shane Warne, yeah. <laughs> Shane Warne, you would want to have a drink with, and Shane Warne and Steve Wall would never want to have a drink with each other. And they're all yeah. of these wonderful, wonderful characters. Um, what other game has has uh, thrown up someone as completely bonkers as Derek Randall? There isn't one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know that I yeah. think that you you look at the, the the brilliance of professional cricket and the reason we all watch it is it's all about um, it's all about the mind, isn't it? It's all about the temperament. Yeah. So the reason that we yeah. loved people like Graham Thorpe and Paul Collingwood, particularly, I mean Collingwood is one of my all-time favourite cricketers because he didn't have particularly considerable talent, but he had the best temperament that you could ever want. And yeah. And as soon as when he was part of the team, the team were better, even though he himself wasn't that good a player. Well, again, there are no other sports where that happens. So the, the game is all about the team gelling or not gelling, certain individuals um, getting on with each other or not. Um, and and these very odd, very, very curious people. I mean, you know, you look at the way Dom Sibley bats now. And that just that's yeah, that's just yeah. humorous in itself, yeah. and yet he's very effective. <laughs> yeah, he's extremely yeah, effective, yeah. and with the bit of luck, yeah. he's going to play you know fifty, eighty, hundred games, and yeah. it's very exciting when someone who's who doesn't look like a sportsman at all, like you know mm. Nathan Lyon. Who would ever guessed that Nathan Lyon would take two hundred Test wickets because he, yeah. he looks like a little accountant, doesn't he? He's, he's <laughs> he just looks. It doesn't look like a sportsman. Yeah, and I mean, I suppose, I suppose even yeah, I mean, the game's greatest player, Bradman, was sort of famously humourless, wasn't he? You know, I mean, I mean, the guy, just, I mean, from what anyone could make out, had no sense of humour whatsoever, and yet that, and yet that became funny, as you say. Yeah, you know, it's the fact that he didn't find anything or anyone funny was funny in itself. Yeah, so, so, so it's this kind of human. It's, I suppose it's a human reaction, isn't it, to try and... I mean, do you think pros... And, and there are a lot of, as you say, there are a lot of very funny professional cricketers. One of their great sort of abilities I've noticed with, with, with them is they can all tell a good story. And I don't know, I don't know if that's sitting around in the dressing room or whatever, but they're, they're very good at anecdotes. Um, I, I think it's because... But I was talking about this with some friends of mine. We were just talking about um, why test cricket is so fantastic and why... I mean, we're all a bunch of old gits, so, you know, for us, 2020 means nothing. It's just a little bit, a bit of fun, but it, it's not it's not real a proper game. And a five-day test has is pure narrative. It's uh, And it's 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 a bit like a box set. It's the, it's the sporting version of the box set. Instead of 13 or 20 episodes of something with one big story, you've got a cricket match, which is the same thing. And it, it's so, cricket is so narrative-based. Um, Think about it. Almost every cricket match basically goes through the same. You know, each side has two innings. One scores either not enough runs or too many or about the right. You know, there aren't very many variations in the actual game. If you look at it in the sort of macro way, they're all 
it, 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 most cricket matches are a bit like most other cricket matches. And yet, within that, we get completely fascinated by the stories, the stories of the individuals, the stories of the teams, and the way things flip um, completely unexpectedly and something weird happens. I mean, the, uh, the, the Stokes century, uh, the season before last, um, which won the game. Um, yeah. You, you think, you, th- you know, we've been around a bit. We've seen a lot of cricket. You think, well, I've seen everything now. And, that the, and yet the last 40 minutes of that, which I have watched live on the telly yeah. countless times, yeah. is, is, is mesmerisingly brilliant. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't dare write it, would you? You Probably no, no. Uh, only in a sitcom would you dare write the, the lion fumble and the, the DRS and the rest of it that happened at the end there. I mean, it was beyond fiction in a way. It, it was marvellous. And that's why it's so exciting. And then why? you watch it and every time you watch it it's it's equally exciting because it really happened and for the people who who are in the moment they're in the moment they don't know what's going to happen either that's that's it's narrative it's pure narrative there was a sort of a i suppose a phenomenon that 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 carter started really when he was banging on about his higher truth when he would essentially you know with his favorite players burnish burnish their quotes and burnish their anecdotes himself and create personality for them and this is something that's kind of gone on through the game you think of fred truman who we mentioned earlier or um uh, david lloyd now bumble they create these personas for themselves uh, especially after cricket that seem to become a living and i wonder if there's a there's a bit of kind of darker uh, comedy or a darker element there and that it almost becomes a sort of mask that eats the face you know they become caricatures of themselves well, it's a very good question, actually. Um, I think that certainly happened with Fred Truman, mm. who became yeah. you know, very sort of cussed and bad-tempered and um, miserable, really, and, and eventually got the boot from Test Match Special. And most people thought he was he'd been lucky to survive so long. And um, I think that the same is true of both of them recently on Sky, yeah. um, who became very dull and very, uh, you know. Yes, I mean, just not not a particularly good commentator and, and very bad-tempered and, and, you know, I was better than that and how many test wickets do you have and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I think I think it is possible. Um, I mean, I think the, the terrible disappointment for most cricketers is that after they've played cricket, well, what else is there? And you're, you're not even 40. Well, you're either <laughs> writing about it, you're, you're, you're commentating or you're coaching. Yeah. Or you're doing something else. I mean... Um, I, I, I think I, the ones I respect to the professionals are the ones who go on and do something completely different. But there was something when you, you looked in, you know, Gower's dead eyes when he was, he was, <laughs> he was, he was chairing those. And you thought, You've, this is really bad. This is, you know, you were such a good batsman and you're so bored now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I suppose... Uh, that's 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 in many ways how we should uh, how we should wrap this up is is to say, you know, is uh, I don't know how you would answer this. I I think you've answered it by your actions more than anything else. Is 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 cricket something that's replaceable in your life? I mean, for me, it's been replaced. Um, it's only a small part of my life, and um, I, I feel as I feel now as though I've written my last cricket book, mm. which is quite a nice feeling because I don't think I've got anything else to say about the game. I've written lots of cricket books, and I think that I've done that, moved on. That's the cricket miscellany will be the last, and um, and but it's still a part of my life. Uh, but it's it's only a small part. You know, I run the team, I get the players, I go and see a few games. 
I hang out with my friends and it's it's no big thing. Having stopped playing was a fantastic relief. Um, absolutely. I'd played for 37 years or 38 years. 37 is, years is probably enough. Um, but it's still part of my life. I think... Uh, it, <clears throat> Can it be replaced? It's a really good it's a really good question and I don't know quite the answer to it. I'm guessing it can't be for lots of people. When I was an impetuous youth blazing a trail while kind of through club cricket, we would sometimes come across a genuine Australian grade cricketer over for the summer to feast on English bowling or gorge themselves on cheap wickets. They were often met with a combination of awe and fear because grade cricket in Australia came with a rep. Actual test match cricketers played in it when they could. It was, we thought, the hardest cricket in the world, played by tough, unyielding cricketers who knew that all roads in the Australian game ran through the grades. My awakening coincided with the beginning of Australian cricketing dominance that lasted for a generation. The only gags to be had were at the expense of the English, and as we've seen, English humour followed a similarly self-deprecating vein. If the Australians had any jokes, they were Beery Sledges or Billy Birmingham's impressions. But social media brought us something new. The Grade Cricketer Twitter account, which landed in 2012, quickly became essential. Sharp, clever and like the best of social media, able to suggest an entire universe behind its 140 character dispatches. Here was what seemed like the real truth. A character once described as a desperate, delusional everyman that soon became a book, a podcast and a cult that has brought us a new and sophisticated kind of humour about the game. One tinged with regret, sadness and a kind of Oedipal madness too. As the former Test Match batsman Ed Cowan says, his insights into the game make people laugh, mostly because they reflect every cricketer's unspoken convictions. We all live vicariously through him as he does us. The great cricketer is actually the work of two men, Ian Higgins and Sam Perry, and I'm very pleased to be joined by Sam Perry now. Sam, first, what is, I suspect, an impossible question, but can you sum up for an English crowd exactly what grade cricket is and how it works? Well, thanks for having me, John. That's a wonderful introduction. Uh, I I guess to speak technically, grade cricket is the literal level below state cricket. So it's the level where those who play always felt as children they were going to play for Australia. You know, they were going to be the heroes that they grew up watching on TV. So you're close to state cricket, but you're not close enough. Uh, Sometimes you encounter state cricketers or test cricketers, as you said before, but never too often, you know. And uh, so it is the level where you compete against pro players, but you yourself pay to play. Uh, So it, it kind of creates its own brutality, in it because after all the time and money and energy you're investing into that pursuit, you realise you're actually paying to do what's effectively a part-time job is worth of time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And what what are the culture of the clubs like? Because as I say, we have this impression of them being sort of yeah rough, tough, incredibly manly places that breed these kind of cricketers who are you know um, far 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 better at cricket and far more macho than English players. Is is that a, is that a truth? 
I, I think it is. And I think if there were any Australian grade cricketers listening to you say that, I think they'd feel a secret kind of joy and pride in that. <laughs> um, but I think the grade cricketer, it actually got its opportunity and it resonated with people because of that um, one word that Ed had there in his quote, which was unspoken. I think the grade cricketer resonated with people because Aussie blokes don't talk. <laughs> they don't talk about their yeah. uh, their fears or their insecurities or their ambitions. You know, I mean, one of the sort of very important rules of playing grade cricket that is unspoken is that you never talk about your ambitions. Everybody playing grade cricket <laughs> thinks they're going right, to play for right. Australia or should be a pro player eventually. And so that gave us the opportunity when we were writing uh, as the character to kind of start um, uncovering some of those, some of that psychology that happened underneath that never got spoken or still doesn't get spoken between Australians who play at that level. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, Twitter, Twitter when it came along, was this sort of great engine of comedy for lots of people, wasn't it? You know, it's, it's almost like the format was made for um, certain types of humour. And it was something that, the, you know, the great cricketer developed out of. I wonder how that process began. I think, uh, like so many people, you know, so many wannabe internet comedians, you know, Twitter just gave you a platform to publish without anybody having to look at what you were saying beforehand. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, when, when we were doing it, we were essentially guys with full-time jobs uh, and, uh, you know, heading into the, <laughs> the bathrooms of corporate Australia to punch out some, you know, witty one-liner we thought we had just to see how it actually right. worked. So, uh, if anything, at the time, uh, I think, you know, the culture of Twitter is very much about fake accounts and anonymous accounts. I know there's plenty of them now still as well, but that was sort of uh, de rigueur, you know, at the time. So Twitter was just basically a canvas, you know, from which to, to air some of these thoughts. But, I mean, you have to be funny, don't you, because you don't get a lot of space on Twitter. So a lot of these uh, these thoughts that you started to externalise, um, I think what people liked about them was they were obviously rooted in genuine experience. Mm. Yeah, that, that's right. And look, there, there was no sense before um, I kicked off the account that it would resonate in particular. It was just a, a bit of a creative pursuit and one born out of, um, you know, my interest in and, and observations that I've made had, having played a bit of grade cricket and the fact that blokes didn't talk. But, yes, uh, when, when you've played 10 years of grizzled grade cricket across suburban <laughs> Sydney and Melbourne and, yeah. you know, the other guys who yeah. were participating at the time, had done the same. So you had about 30 years between you. Um, people can smell the authenticity immediately. I mean, it is, it's its own kind of education. You can't really fake it unless you've done it. And, uh, luck, you know, thankfully we were able to reflect that uh, in some of the observations we were making. Yeah. So did you all, I mean, how did you all come together? Because, you know, it's, it, I guess it's easy, for, easy enough for one person um, to, you know, fire off these kind of ideas but for for the three of you to have a kind of one voice uh when you're not sort of together all day and in a writer's room or whatever seems like you know um quite an extraordinary piece of luck really yeah it just, we were just friends you know uh and we we all met through various pursuits uh it, it was either school or um university or cricket or a combination of the three but uh we were just friends who happened to have some of these conversations in person and uh, we decided, you know, we'll um, 
we'll air it. I mean, the the technical creation of it was uh, I kicked it off, ran it for about a year, and then invited a few other people to uh, add their observations as well. Uh, obviously, the criteria was that they had to have had played grade cricket and to you know have felt that grizzled experience and. Uh, yeah, at the time, Dave and Ian uh, jumped on board and uh, made some of their own observations and it just uh, continued to roll on from there. So to sort of come to the character himself, who, who obviously, if people don't know, is is nameless. He's just mm. known as the great cricketer. What were the sort of the, the roots of the character? There's this sort of deep insecurity to him. Uh, he's obviously slightly older. His own dreams have been thwarted and he's now kind of looking back. Is that a sort of fair reflection of where he comes from? Yeah, we, I mean, when we sat down to sketch out the character, uh, for the first book, for example, we didn't kind of build the classic grade cricketer as though it was a, a canvas where we drew him out. It was really just a combination of uh, a lot of the stories and the people that we had I- encountered through our own time playing cricket. And sometimes okay, it might have right, been our own yeah. stories as well. So, you know, we probably offend, mortally offended uh, all sorts of excellent authors around how you develop a character, but it really was a um, <laughs> just a mishmash of, uh, of of the things that we'd experienced, and we just wanted to make sure that all of those stories made it onto the page in some kind of symmetric way. Uh, and uh, you know, yeah, again, thankfully, it, it does seem to resonate with people. I mean, to me, what separates him, I, I think of him as a him. Mm. Um, what separates him from other? Uh, you know, we spoke about Australian humour mm-hmm. before, which was kind of rough and tough, impressions and sledges and mm-hmm. isn't Merv Hughes funny, that sort of thing. You know, this guy had a kind of emotional resonance and a kind of tragedy about him. You know, he, his dreams were thwarted. He, he had this absolutely terrifying relationship with his father. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was very rich. It was, a, it was a, a sort of a comedy creation rather than a cricket one, I think. Uh, I think the thing, and I appreciate that, and I suppose off the top from what you said, it's definitely him, and I say that out of respect uh, for the fairer sex as well, um, <laughs> especially in Australia. Yeah. But um, I, if there was a separation, and I appreciate that you're saying that there is one between what you've experienced with Australian cricket comedy or, or um, Australian comedy in general, it, it is probably the exploration of some of the parts of the cricketing experience that Aussie blokes don't really talk about uh, and what sits underneath it. So yeah. while if you're... Uh, I mean, I meant to boldly stereotype, but if you're an English cricket fan, you're a lot more into uh, uh, some of the whimsy and some of the um, uh, some of the the more obscure points of the game. Um, Australian men who play cricket are still very straight in the way that they play. Cricket is this expression of um, of the ego. You know, winning is very very yeah. important. Um, failing is not funny, you know, failing is a, is a sin, you know, and uh, yeah, when, yeah, when, when you've yeah. been around the dressing room for a long time, you, you get, and you get to know players and you get to see their stories and you get to see some of the dads walking around the ground, or you see some of the arrested development, you know, some of these guys might be fantastic players, but then they go and they, they go and get a dressing down from their, their elderly father at age 30 <laughs> yeah. after they've been dismissed and you think, oh, wow, uh, yeah. you know, there's, this, there's yeah. actually a sad story underneath all of that. Or, you know, some people's dreams might be yeah. failing in front of your eyes. They might have thought they'll play for Australia, but in fact they're playing second grade and all of a sudden they start having other issues in their life. You know, they, um, they become more interested in the rig, you know, the body or, or the yeah. job you have or the yeah. money, the amount of money that you make or, 
and they and they, they express their ego that way. And it ends up becoming this really rich kind of sociological environment. But it wasn't spoken about, you know, it was never reflected upon or made yeah. humour, you know, fun was made of it. But once the great cricketer started um, making observations, a lot of people, a lot of Aussie blokes started to go, yeah, I, I recognise that person. That was always the... Um, the marker of a tweet that we liked or, or a post that we liked was whether people recognised somebody, you know, in, in that post. So yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose if you think about um, uh, Australia and the kind of great expressions of Australian humour, um, which, which I would think of as films probably like The Club and The Castle, Muriel's Wedding, those kind of classic suburban Australian comedies, what they actually do is expose that underbelly of Australia where you know everyone isn't a winner everyone isn't a kind of suntanned lifeguard you know actually there's a lot of people in Australia are very different to that. I think a lot of Australians can be a little bit um, closed to the idea that they may be different and perhaps whether that's because that's a narrative we've told ourselves you know that we are suntanned and that we are winners and that we are underdogs who overachieve on the sporting stage and try to kind of hide any more of the complexity of, you know, of our nation, which we do, um, you know, it's not really for me to say I'm still kind of exploring that. But I also think it's a stereotype that's um, happily reinforced over your way as well, you know. I mean, having, yeah. having um, <laughs> lived in the UK yeah. for a little while, I was always – it didn't – I never stopped being surprised at the amount of times uh, I felt like – People just wanted me to be Warney or Kylie, you know, from the eighties, you know, and uh, just just be <laughs> yeah, a just yeah. be a swearing drinking Aussie. Um, I remember yeah. even playing a little bit of cricket over there, and people expressing surprise that I had not sledged more. Such was a stereotype <laughs> that you know the Aussies yeah, had created for yeah. themselves. Um, and then, you know, once you'd, you'd done the Twitter account, you say you, you did a book, and this thing really started to get some traction. And it's become a bit of a cultural phenomenon. I'm looking on the website, and, you, and if people don't know, there's, there's the standing of Thomas Keneally, the novelist in Australia, is is sort of huge. You know, this guy's a cultural giant. And yet here he is calling the grey cricketer the, the finest tribute to a sport since fever pitch. Um, a hymn to the grand and complex game delivered with a narrative pace and an ability I'm afraid most test players don't have. I mean, this this for it to have gone from a Twitter account to this kind of acknowledgement that this is saying something about Australia and Australians, it, can you describe how that journey took place? Um, well, I think if, if there was a journey taking place, it probably began before even the Twitter account. I mean, I, I think the three of us uh, while doing it at the time, there's only two of us doing it now, but um, three of us mm. doing it at the time had uh, had an interest in all of those themes that you are discussing here. Um, and the Twitter account was just the commencement, really, of those observations. Twitter just gave us a platform to make a few posts, <laughs> as I said, but before yeah. too long, mm. Uh, we could see that it resonated in a way that um, where it appealed to us to explore the character further uh, and the idea of actually writing, uh, you know, something much more long form and creating a narrative out of it. Uh, yeah, it was something that we were really excited about. And, um, you know, even though we were so thankful to get that wonderful endorsement from uh, Thomas, I mean, we pitched that book out to about 30 publishers, you know, scattergunning on the internet, knowing nobody until, you know, the the, the last one came in uh, from a very small publishing house. So it nearly didn't get off the ground. But, uh, yeah, once the book came out, 
um, we learned that there were there were even more people who were uh, you know keen to enjoy it. And then it, it's become this sort of travelling roadshow that that includes professional cricketers themselves uh, they obviously recognized the truth of it and started to find it funny but that i guess presents you with a sort of a problem because all of a sudden uh it's that um the people that you're or not so much with professional cricketers but cricketers that you're laughing at and laughing with suddenly want to take part and uh, and i guess in some circumstances they're your heroes they're your playing heroes but it makes it difficult, doesn't it, when if, they, if they're if they not quite as you think they're going to be or they don't quite get the joke or they get the joke in a different way. How did you – was it a big decision to kind of let those guys on board and, and start to broaden it out a little bit? Uh, was it a big decision? Look, to be honest, John, it probably wasn't because – while we've been doing this, we haven't been considering ourselves, uh, you know, um, kind of, uh, you know, important holders of, of culture. You know, maybe we should be more creatively um, uh, disciplined with the things we do. We just sort of we just sort of thought, well, let's do a podcast, <laughs> you know, and, let's, and we'll get a few guests on. But um, yeah, what, what we've found through getting guests on is how many – international players or professional players are very keen to show audiences their own grade cricket experience and that I suppose you know they're one they're like us as well and and they have a you know a similar grassroots uh, upbringing and they've 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 had the showering experiences and they've had the rig chats and they've had to go through any hazing or humiliation or rituals that you sort of go through in the lower grades of grade cricket. Um, now, of yeah, course, they'll yeah. often be lying because, you know, they're usually just worldies <laughs> <laughs> who are always going to go play for Australia. Yeah. But it's always interesting yeah. to try and, um, you know, it, explore their relationship to cricket because so often it, it, it does start the same place for them. It is the backyard, it is dad, it is um, pride, it is family. It's just that for them, they usually have, you know, genetically blessed. <laughs> Do you find that, um, I mean, obviously you've had Ed Cowan on quite yeah. a lot who was probably known, I think, as the Australian cricketer with a brain, if that's not oh. fair to say, <laughs> and not unfair to, to, to typecast. But you also have people like Mark Waugh, who, you, as you say, you would think of just kind of, cozied up through cricket it's always been incredibly easy for mm. them and they're legends you know mm. how do you how do you go about applying your experience to a guy like mark war well i think that's probably the um and, we, and like with respect to mark war as well it's probably the the richness of grade cricket allows us to forge an immediate connection in a way it, we're, we're very lucky in that sense um most players yeah who like well all players who play for Australia have gone through grade cricket and they all um in in their own way respect it and the ability to say the other say to them well you know you don't say before you get on I played x grade or whatever it's just enough to say you play grade <laughs> cricket it's almost it's it's such a it's such a rich and brutal experience grade cricket that it almost creates its own language and its own nod of the head. Oh, okay, it's kind of like, well, you, you did that. We can speak the same language. And so there's always a sense of comfort that we probably have as a privilege that maybe other journalists don't have. And, you know, to your point before about how do you connect with players who mightn't have played that much at that level, well, sometimes they can just – they can almost confirm the parody or the satire that you're pushing out there, you know. So it kind of works yeah, either way. Yeah. They either kind of empathise with you or they confirm it, you know. You, you come across certain players who may not – um, go with the joke so much, but you can laugh at them, you know, for their attitudes or the way they might <laughs> look over someone's shoulder or think that they're better than somebody else. So 
it usually just works on a couple of levels. Really, it's about Australian manhood, isn't mm. it? And and do you think that has changed in the 21st century? Uh I do. I do think it's changed in the 21st century, and that's um, to the detriment of our business. Uh, but but it is good, <laughs> this change. I, um, yeah, we were always really, really interested in that as the kind of underlying driver of what we were talking about, and we've read books on manhood, and that's why, you know, it quite often comes back to the father-son relationship. And I, I think, yeah. I do think, and I'm speaking broadly, I do think broadly there's um, – much better culture among Australian men around uh, speaking about your feelings and your experiences and also being free to be yourself. And I know that sounds incredibly earnest uh, on a cricket podcast, but it really is. Um, <laughs> that really is the, you know, the inability to do that probably drives a lot of the great cricketer content. So, you know, when sandpaper yeah, happened, yeah. for example, it was one of the greatest boons to our business of all time. Uh, it was, it was the nadir <laughs> of culture. It was kind of the, uh, the, the apex of, 40 years of cultural dysfunction in one go and we, <laughs> yeah. we absolutely dined, yeah. dined out. But now that, you know, um, Tim Payne talks about his feelings and they all get Botox and uh, um, and they're quite friendly <laughs> with each other with PG sledging, you know, there's a bit less material yeah. to work with. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do think the old Australian character still is in there. Uh, but I do think that Aussie blokes are, are getting better at um, being themselves. The Night Watchman podcast is brought to you by Rathbones Investment Management for individuals, charities and financial advisors. We couldn't do it without them, so please head over to rathbones.com to find out more about what they do. In very different ways, Marcus and Sam's humour comes from within the game, from the fear and loathing of having to play it allegedly for fun. In that respect, it's cricket from the inside. But how does cricket appear from the outside to the people the pro game relies on to keep it alive? The fans and the TV watchers, however obsessed or however casual they may be, is cricket objectively as well as subjectively funny? Tim Key has won the Edinburgh Comedy Award, formerly the Perio, of course, taken his stand-up across the globe and acted in the two preeminent television comedies of recent years, Peep Show, in which he briefly and horrifically replaced Jez as Mark's flatmate, and Alan Partridge, where he appears as psychic Simon on Mid-Morning Matters, and this time, for which he's filming a new series right now. Alongside these solid gold entries on the CV, he's known for his poetry, which often touches on his sporting obsessions, be they snooker, darts, or in this case cricket and i'm delighted to say that tim has agreed to read one for us now tim thank you so this is called ramps this is um a poem where i guess lockdown meets well ramps some new rules came in on the wages side of things now companies would pay one quarter of your pay the government would stump up a quarter and Mark Ramprakash would make up the rest. Ramps phoned up his agent immediately. Why am I paying half of everyone's wages over here? He was basically having a meltdown. This doesn't make any sense. How am I going to afford this even? Damn it! Why is it down to me suddenly? His agent was as calm as always. We're on to it, Mark. We think it's a mistake. Just stay calm, mate. We're going to send some emails. Ramps was whacking the phone against his cricket helmet. We're pretty sure they're going to row back from this, his agent went on. Ramps has sat on his kit bag now, his mouth twisted with the stress of it all, sweat pouring onto his tap shoes. You know, it is what it is. 
<laughs> yeah. So obviously, <laughs> I mean, I, I think <laughs> where I'd start with that is, is I don't like the idea of you saying where you'd start with it. If you are you going <laughs> to you going to tear it apart? <laughs> yeah. Well, no, no, <laughs> no, no. I, 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 just, I just wonder what part of your subconscious Mark Rampakash was occupying during lockdown. This is a it's that's such a good question. Finally, someone who's asking a decent question. I think we can. I think we can try and get to the bottom of why Mark Ramprakash is in that poem. Even just reading it out, I kind of, I sort of sensed what was going on there. I mean, uh, I mean, first things first. It, it's apparently quite arbitrary, and that could just be anyone. I mean, I suppose that could yeah. be, you know, Andy Crane or something. It doesn't need to be even from the world of, of cricket, but. Yeah. It does. It felt to me like Ram, Ram Prakash was quite a, <laughs> <laughs> was quite a good person to get to get to get into that kind of vehicle. Yeah, I mean, he'd, he'd I, be the sort of person singled out by the government. In, in yeah, way. exactly. Yeah. There's something very clean, clean cut about him. Yeah. There's also something quite. Um, he, he offers quite a lot, doesn't he? Because he's he's not in the centre of everyone's thoughts, but he's somewhere quite interesting because. There's a lot of people who like him a lot, and then there's a lot of people who like him from a completely different world that he's appeared in. Yes. And so in a poem, it was quite nice to be able to have a... Um, to just throw a cricket bat in and, and sling some tap shoes the in tap at the end. tap shoes, yeah, yeah, right at the end, which was... <laughs> yeah, yeah. In many ways, the killer payoff. Yeah, and the anger as well. Yeah. I think that comes from the fact that <laughs> my, my dad... Um, my dad always talks about Ramprakash. Um, right. He watched him. He watched him playing at Fenners, the um, Cambridge yeah. University cricket ground. Yeah, and um, he always talks about him because I, I think you know when um, I, th- I guess they still do it, but they, the counties used to bring all their best players, and you'd sort of could go yeah. and see. And so Ramprakash, my dad was watching, and I think he was near the dressing near the pavilion, and um, I think Ramprakash didn't get a very high score. And then I think, according to my dad, now, now this I wouldn't say is the gospel truth, but according to my dad, it sounded like when Ramprakash went into the pavilion, <laughs> yeah, he, he, he maybe threw some stuff about a bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 like that, it, it could be true. It could be it could true. Be. You never know. I mean, I suppose as a figure, isn't it? Yeah, you're right. He's he's because he's so much of an idol. You know, he's he's great looking. When you watched him play cricket, he looked like he could play cricket. He wasn't one of those guys who, you know, kind of Jonathan Trot figure or something who was appeared to be tortured by the game. Rampkash right. looked, looked born into it, didn't he? And then and then the fates kind of played with him, which was, I guess, maybe why he kind of crept into your thinking. Yeah, it's true. He's he's a very interesting, he's a very interesting cricketer. I mean, I suppose even for my age, uh, so when I'm growing up, I'm watching probably the the generation just before him. Yeah. So I'm kind of bedded into cricket when um, Ramprakash appears on the scene, <laughs> and yeah. he was one of the great sort of hopes of English cricket, wasn't he? Probably. Well, along with Graham Hick, yes. Yeah, him and Hick, yeah. and Hick maybe more so because he had to sort of wait for Hick. Yes. But, but Ramprakash was that was a shoe in, and I do remember he was it was it against West Indies when he started. They but they both debuted in the same game. Yes, against West Indies in in 1991. Yeah. Well, that's good. That's useful information. That's good information. Isn't I'm, it? I'm glad yeah. you did you, you for this you interview. Might, did you brush uh, did you brush up on your ramps? <laughs> 
Well, essentially, I have done because the, you, won't, you might not believe this, but the person we interviewed for a different pod just before this was Mark Ramprakash. Ah, so you're right. following him by about probably 17 hours. Great. Great. Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember that series and I remember, um, I think England were, you know, on a bit of a downturn or certainly England were, couldn't, couldn't possibly beat the West Indies because yes, it was their, right. great, yeah. their great yeah. attack. And then Ramprakash was like, he was brilliant, wasn't he? he, he but did. he kept on getting, he was like very, very, he had a, clearly an amazing character and was determined not to get out. And as far as I remember, it kept on getting about 27 and then, you know, wandering back to the pavilion with the commentators saying... Mm. He'd, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd done, he'd dug in at least. Your, your, your memory's fantastic because one of those sort of odd Rampakash facts is that he got 27 in both innings of that game. Oh, and, 20, right, okay. and 27 was his final test match average, spookily enough. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. So this, all this, I think this is why Rampakash played that role in your poem. I think all of this was there. You just, now you're talking about it, you realise it was there. You think this is less arbitrary than I at I first really thought? I really do. I really do. But I reckon yeah. if I'm if I'm plucking people out, I, I'm sure I've plucked cricketers out in the past when I've done, like, other poems and and when we, I used to be in a sketch group. And I think the idea of just... I don't know. There's something about... Um, there's something about an ex-cricketer that... that <laughs> I don't know, just does attract me as a, um, <laughs> right. as a person to reference. Right. The fact that they're ex, you prefer to write about them once they've finished playing. Yeah, and I don't know why that is, but I, I mean, I think it's because there is something. Um, it might be that there's something, and as an audience member, if I'm watching someone else's stuff, a, a well, a well-chosen person that is referenced, who is someone who's very familiar to you, but you hadn't thought about for a long time, is does does offer does offer a lot, I think, and I think that maybe that maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe ex cricketers are right for that, but also I think I don't know. There's, it shouldn't be like a silly, you know, it shouldn't be a cricketer with a funny name or something, or like a sort no, of, no, you can't, no, you can't, you can't really say Graham Dilly or something. No, no, I mean, really, you're right. Rampakesh has the right gravitas for that poem. Well, I mean, I don't even think I've ever written about Nasser Hussain, but I'm sure that several times <laughs> I've put in my notes Nasser Hussain. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> I think it'd be it'd be a really funny person to pop up. Earlier on in in the podcast, we talked a little bit about cricket's role within the sitcom, and the fact that the the traditional British sitcoms, the dads' armies of this world, would always have a cricket would always have a cricket episode. I remember a brilliant cricket episode of uh, ever decreasing circles. That's the, I think that's the greatest one of all. I have to say, yeah, yeah. It's fantastic. It's insane that episode. It, it, it really is. It has everything, doesn't it? It's got yeah. It's certainly got its fair share of pathos. It, it I mean, really it just does, it just yeah. all goes wrong. And and it's I always found it very strange that the the um, obviously the central character of ever decreasing circles is Richard Briers, who is he now would be regarded as somewhere on the spectrum, I imagine. But back in the day, was just kind of funny because he was obsessive compulsive, wasn't? Yeah, and um, he was played up against uh, a kind of very successful character who owned a hairdresser's or something like that. I think who was yeah, who his Paul. wife was semi in love with Paul. But weirdly, Paul looked exactly like Phil Edmonds. Oh right, yeah, the, the yeah, he does look like a cricketer. He, he does look like a cricketer. So come the cricket episode, 
uh, this is all queued up for because what I suppose the point I, w- I was going to make is that sitco- well-established sitcom characters fit very well into a cricket narrative because you mm-hmm. know from their character exactly what kind of cricketer they're going to be. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but I wonder if, if uh, to, to get you on a sort of semi-serious territory, obviously when you, you, the sitcom has moved on from that and, and cricket seems to have disappeared from it, sadly. Yeah, why do you think that is? I don't know. I just wonder if it's kind of quite difficult to imagine, you know, a partridge cricket episode or, you know, I don't know. I don't know why, really. Yeah, why is that? I I, there's, I, I remember listening to a Hancock uh, during lockdown as well, I think. I mm. listened to a Hancock episode that was their cricket episode. Oh, really? And, I didn't um, know that was yeah. one of those. Okay. You can sort of see why it's it's sort of made for kind of television and comedy. There's there's some... there's. Cricket is banana. <laughs> cricket is is absolutely bananas. Yeah, I, I can see the distinction yeah. between cricket and football. Yeah, you know with, yeah, why you with don't football, have a football episode. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's just you'd have you know the, the, just the structure of an episode. There's the bit where they're playing football. The, the, there's not much in terms of they're not talking to each other and stuff like that. And in cricket, it, it is one. So I guess it's sort of you a fairly unique sport that not only are some people actually talking while they're playing and talking quite a lot, but there's also um, nine people who are, who are just <laughs> inexplicably not doing anything. <laughs> it is, it is yeah. I mean, no offence because obviously you're involved in it, but it's, it's a really, st- it's a stupid sport. It is a stupid sport, yeah. yeah I mean, it's inherently comic, yeah. And also, I suppose there's there's something else. Maybe another thing that's happening is, and you can sort of see the dad's arminess and stuff like that. That in in football they are just there's no responsibility in terms of the the, <laughs> yeah. the football captain and you know things to do with strategy and stuff like that. It all sort of goes out the window when they're on the pitch, and the captain is usually he might be an inspirational figure, he might be popular amongst the lads, but in cricket it is. At least in, t- in in their own heads, it's sort of more like a war, and it's kind yeah. of people really feel like they are. Um, there's a real sense of strategy and a real, you know, you can talk about it after the game and talk about you know the bowling changes and the fielding changes and stuff like that. Where with football, I mean, not to oversimplify it, but you are just running after that ball and <laughs> you know trying yeah. to get that ball off that bloke. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you're kind of. Uh, I mean, I know from your other poetry, you you take in snooker, you take in a bit of darts, don't you? From time to time, those kind of other sporting obsessions you have. Was your background just in watching sport? Yeah, and so, well, I mean, I, I, I sort of... painted you like as if you're slumped in front of the TV all day, <laughs> yeah, watching yeah, whatever yeah, comes yeah, on. Yeah, I don't know if that's true yeah, or not. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> an enormous guy who can't lift himself <laughs> off the sofa. <laughs> I guess you're mainly watching it these days. Yeah. Um, yeah. I can't. I um. I sort of have come across, come along, come up against the realization that maybe I'm less sporty than I thought I was. I think I always used to sort of assume I was quite, <laughs> quite sporty. You had a perception I was captain that even of the... now you might break into the England side. I know. I, yeah. I mean, I was, to be fair, the captain of the school football team. Okay. And a, and a very successful one as well. But um, I think that was mainly because I was sort of <laughs> square. So the so the yeah. the PE teacher thought I'll put him in charge. Actually, it wasn't because I was the the best player. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I used to, I, and I still love playing football. 
I'm very frustrated that I can't play cricket. I mean, I can handle myself on a on a pool table. Yeah. I used to love playing squash. Yeah. I still now enjoy running and stuff like that. But yeah, cricket, it's actually quite heartbreaking that I can't, <laughs> I can't play that game. Yeah. I mean, I play football every week, you know, lockdown allowing, but yeah. I, I always play football. And um, I've obviously had opportunities with friends who play cricket. And um, the problem is, I can't, do you play cricket? I do. Yeah. Yeah. Quite badly, but. Uh, but consistently through my entire life, tragically. Yeah, and I think it's a bit of a sort of um, glitch in the matrix that I haven't played cricket consistently throughout my life. Yeah. I feel like I don't, I don't know why I haven't. <laughs> I mean, I didn't play at school, and I think that's a right. bad start, isn't it? Yeah, that, that, it's hard, yeah, once you've missed that sort of early, those early years, yeah, it's hard to recover. I mean, also, do you, th- do you uh, talk about, th- sorry, go on. I was going to say that ball. I, I, I do, I am genuinely scared of the ball. Yeah. <laughs> That's my main. Right. Yeah, the main I think that's my main. Really. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I just I got. I'm the same with with a, with football. I can sort of, you know, buzz around a bit and try and get that ball. But if I'm in yeah. goal, I'm scared of the ball and I, <laughs> I'll move out of the way. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and with cricket, I think when you're sort of in the realms of moving out of the way when the ball's coming towards you, it may be not your sport. Cricket's a sort of particularly televisual sport, isn't it? It's the the experience of seeing cricket on television and going to a cricket match are almost entirely divorced from one another. Um, yeah, and, and you can also throw in listening to a day of cricket as well. As, yeah, as very a, as true. As a third yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, very true. Um, that you know that that point you were making about the players developing their own personalities in your mind. Because they become so familiar, you see them so much on television and you see them very close up on television in a way that you don't if you're at the game. I think so. I feel like, yeah, I do watch it on television and I'm kind of, um, when they used to show it on BBC and it was, um, who was that? Jack Bannister. Yes. I remember like there'd be a test match. Yeah. Yeah, there'd be a test match and I'd be um, really excited like it's, you know, Christmas Eve. And Mm. I remember the, I think my the single most deflating abject thing in my you know early teens was turning on the television you know ma- making yourself a cup of coffee turning on your, your television at 11am and there's rain and yeah and you had it doesn't occur to you that you've forgotten the possibility of rain and that bleak moment where you know it's you turn it on it's 10 past 11 but they're not already playing and the, you can see the rain and the covers and stuff oh man i used to hate that uh, but yeah, in terms of what you just asked about, you know, feeling you know people, I'd I, I, I'd say I agree. When you watch a whole day's cricket, I would think, I would say any any cricket fan who watched, you know, the, the Ashes last year, they know, you know, they know exactly who Jack Leach is. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like this yeah. guy. I know who this guy is. Like you've built up a whole personality based around his one. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know this fella. This fella is is a guy I like. This guy is uh, a bit of a laugh. He's a, he's a <laughs> he's he? a great guy. Leach is officially a bit of a laugh, is he? I must be like yeah. you know, <laughs> the, you know. There's some you know big, great, barrel chested, fast bowlers who who charge in, and you you know you'd sort of if someone were to tell you, oh no, this guy's all right, you'd, you'd sort of want a kind of an hour in the pub first before yeah. you went over to him, you know, before you sort of approach, you know, Angus Fraser or Kurtley Ambrose or someone. Yeah, yeah. But Leach, I'm sort of going over to him to get an in with the other people. Like, <laughs> Leach is going to be, Leach is going to be fine. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And do you, I mean, so could you, if I ran through the entire England team, would they each have this persona in your head? I mean, if I said Stokes... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think you have a fair idea what Stokes is all about. Yeah. A bit of a handful, probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'd like, I'd, I think I'd like him. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily get on the wrong side of him. I don't know. Have you hung out? Have you hung out with cricketers? No, well, I mean, not not to a huge extent. I kind of really fought shy of that. I mean, you mentioned Rampakash, and he was, I guess we're sort of around the same age, and he was very much kind of hero of mine as well, but a different kind of hero. I think it sort of falls into three camps for me. You have the heroes of your childhood, and they're unimpeachable. You will, you will never, they will never be matched by anyone else. Yeah. And then you have the, the heroes... Of, that are people that are roughly of your generation. So had you been good enough at cricket, you would have been in the team with them. Right. So you kind of regard them in a slightly different way. And then beyond that, you have the, the cricketers now. who They're all kind of younger than me. So they can never really be heroic, although they do heroic things. That's kind of how it divides up in my mind. That's interesting. Yeah, so my kind of unimpeachable sort of men from the past are like Robin Smith and um, I guess... Both um, Dermot Reeve. I guess that impacts on how you see them and how you fit them into your, you know, if any other cricketers are going to crop up in your comedy. It's because I suppose like Rampakash, they have a particular role in your mind. Dermot Reeve obviously does. Dermot Reeve would be a good one, wouldn't he? Yeah, Dermot Reeve would be interesting. Uh, yeah, he always seemed to have a lot go. I mean, I, th- I, think, I, th- I think I was always kind of quite attracted to the players who had like a... Well, I mean, he was really good, but I, it, it, the fact that his, he had his captaincy and people always talked about what a good captain he was yeah. and that sort of elevated him above other above other players where you sort of are, you know, given the impression that amongst these cricketers in sort of county cricket, there are people who, who are stone-cold geniuses <laughs> who, if it wasn't for the fact that they had a good eye for the ball, they would be prime minister, like someone like yeah. Mark Nicholas or yeah. Rob Key. <laughs> you know, these players where they're thinking... You know, you know, you know when they, when there's a few batsmen who are out of form, and they sort of they're talking about other candidates. This is more in the '90s than now because they've got a system now. But yeah, yeah. in the '90s, they'd say, "Well, they might bring in Bill Athey, uh, or they, or they, or they, 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 I don't know. They might bring back John Crawley." Yeah. And then there's usually some wild card where they so they say something mad like, "Or they may bring in Matthew Maynard as captain," and you're like, "Oh, <laughs> really?" <laughs> As with all humour, humour in cricket can come from a place of pain, a place of love, from the kind of mania that takes over all of us that play it from time to time, just so long as we can all agree that yes, cricket is funny. My thanks go to Marcus Berkman, Sam Perry and Tim Key. Marcus's most recent book is Berkman's Cricketing Miscellany, published by Little Brown and available from all good booksellers. For more about The Grade Cricketer, visit www.thegradecricketer.club. Tim Key's latest book is called He Used Thought as a Wife. To order a copy, visit www.utterandpress.co.uk. That's www.utterandpress.co.uk. And thanks to you for listening. 
If you've enjoyed it, then do spread the word. And if you're feeling especially kind, then why not leave us a review on your podcast app? The Night Watchman podcast is written and hosted by John Houghton, produced and edited by James Wallace. It'd be unlikely for this to make it. Uh, this poem is called uh, Nothing Makes Sense. Harry Kane stood on the training pitch. Coach explained again. Football's cancelled, Harry. For now. Harry was gaping hard. He pointed to the football again. Football. I know, Harry. Coach showed him some headlines on his iPhone. Harry blinked. He pointed at the football again. He pointed at his shin pads. He pointed to the sky. Coach put an arm round him. They wandered back up to the hut. It's, uh, it's, it's quite sad. <laughs>